This past week, our country celebrated Veterans Day. It was an opportunity to remember those who have sacrificed so much for the freedom we enjoy as a nation and to thank those men and women who are currently serving in our military. And if you're a veteran this morning, would you do this? Would you please stand so that we can thank you for your sacrifice and your service? Veterans, thank you. This morning we're going to be looking at, at freedom. And I was thinking about what's taken place just in the last few days in Paris in particular and how freedom is under fire in our country and around the world. And I'd like to take just a moment this morning, church, to uh, pray for the people in Paris. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, when we turn on the news and hear these tragic reports of what's taken place, God, our hearts break because we know that these are real people and real lives that have been shattered. And Father, sometimes we're not even sure how we should pray, but we're reminded that Jesus said, pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we pray today, God, that your will is done because we know in so many places it is not being done. And Lord, you also told us to pray this, that that our Father in heaven would deliver us from evil and we know, God, that there is real evil in this world and so we pray that you would deliver us. God, we pray for these families that have been impacted by this, this tragedy that you would bring them your comfort and your peace and the hope of the gospel. And Father, we know this because your word tells us that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God, we pray that that day that day of incredible peace and freedom and joy would come soon. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to be looking at a topic that really is one that affects every single person in this room. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, um, how old you are, what you do for a living, where you were born. This is a topic that has affected people for thousands of years. It's a topic that often causes conflict in marriage a topic that's very important as we listen to candidates debate and vie for your vote as the next president of our nation. Today we're going to be talking about financial freedom. And the first thing I want to do since we're going to be talking about money is to give you some. So I've got some guys that have some cash this morning and they've got some single dollar bills, some fives, some tens, some twenties, and they're just going to hand it out to you right now because I want you to be able to hold in your hand what I'm talking about this morning. Now, let me just say this, um, this money does not belong to the church, this is money from my bank account that I am temporarily entrusting to you, and I'm going to be giving you some encouragement about what to do with that money uh, before the close of the service, but I want you to just hold on to that money, and you might notice as you look around that um, not everybody has the same denominations. So if you have a 20, would you just kind of slip your hand up if you have a $20 bill? Oh, Wow. What about a 10? Uh, okay. You see all the people with the big bills? You see where they're sitting? Toward the front here? I, I, just, I guess it just worked out that way, but you just never know what could happen if you sit in the front of the church. When it comes to money, I want us to really um, think deeply about the assumptions that we have, because we all have assumptions about money, and those assumptions may or may not be true. And those assumptions have been formed by our family, by our friends, by the media, by our culture. 
few days ago, I saw this internet ad that said this, what women really want. Spoil your baby with bling and she'll love you forever. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because bling is a relatively new word in our American vocabulary. It was actually coined by a rap group in New Orleans called Cash Money Millionaires. And what is bling? Well, it refers to you know, excessive jewelry and accessories. And it's interesting that our culture not only shapes our assumptions about money, but also invents new words and new phrases as we talk about money. Now, as we look at this topic of financial freedom this morning, we all know that money is a very important part of our lives. You've heard me say this before, that Jesus taught a lot about money. Now, why did he do that? Well, simply because Jesus wants us to have the right assumptions about money. And here's why that is so important. Because our assumptions about money drive our behaviors with money. And what many American families have experienced both inside and out in the church when it comes to money is a lot of confusion and a lot of financial pressure. Now, consider some of these questions when it comes to money. Here's the first. Where did it all go? Have you ever asked yourself that? You sit down and fill out your income tax return and you list all the money that you made, hopefully, that year. And then you say, where did it all go? Or how about this question? How did I get into this much debt? We call it consumer debt because one of the behaviors that can drive people into debt is constant consumption. It's like the guy who found out that his wife had lost her credit card and he decided not to call the credit card company. And about three months later, he got a call from someone there at the credit card company and they said, sir, why didn't you report that your wife's card was lost? And he said, well, I don't know who stole it, but whoever did was spending less than my wife, so I thought it was a pretty good deal. <laughs> or how about this question? Why is it that I never seem to be content with what I have? I, I told myself, this is the last one I'm going to buy, but I just saw this ad, and it is, man, there's a new improved version, and it's bigger, and it's shinier, and I, I've just got to have me one of those. This morning, I want you to take a serious look at your assumptions about money, because once again, those assumptions may be true, or they may be false. Now, I realize that when you come to church, and the pastor says, today I'm going to talk about money, that some of you could start to feel a little nervous or uncomfortable. And I've been where you are. And, and there have been times when I've been listening to a message about money, and I've just cringed, and I've wanted to just look at my watch and hope that the pastor was, was going to finish soon. But let me say this, and you've heard me say this before, this, this topic of money really is not focused on what I want from you. It's focused on what I want for you. And what I want for all of us is to simply see money from God's point of view. And here's what's important to realize. Whenever we see something from God's point of view and we take his principles and put them into practice, it leads to freedom. If a couple comes to me and they're struggling with their marriage, I want them to see their marriage from God's point of view, to see the role of a husband or the role of a wife. If a parent comes and says, look, I'm really struggling with my child, I want that person to see parenting from God's perspective. Because when you see something from God's perspective and actually take his principles and put them into practice, it leads to what? It leads to freedom. Now take a look at your outline. It says the big idea. When we get God's perspective on any area of life, it changes how we think, feel, and act. This is true for money. When we get God's perspective on money, it will change how we think about money, how we feel about money, and what we do with money. Embracing God's perspective on money is the path to financial freedom. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told. If you've got a Bible this morning, it's going to be in Luke chapter 16. 
If you've got one of the Bibles that we provided, that's on page 849. Now, this is a very perplexing story to many people. One of those parables that at, at surface level seems really kind of hard to understand. I want to walk us through this verse by verse because Jesus has something very important to point out to us when it comes to gaining God's perspective on money and possessions. So we're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 16. And it says this, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Now let me stop right here and make this observation, and this is on your outline. How does God see money? It all belongs to God. We are managers of God's money. Another word for manager is steward. It all belongs to God. We are managers or stewards of God's money. Now, this story begins with this rich guy who has somebody else managing his possessions. And one of the most basic assumptions in the Bible is that everything belongs to who? Belongs to God, and we simply manage it for God. But what is the, what is the most basic assumption of our culture? That money and possessions belong to you. They belong to me, not to God. And, of course, our assumptions about who owns the money in your hand right now or the money in your wallet, or your bank account, or your 401k. Your assumption about who owns that money will determine how you feel about that money and what you do with that money as well. And for those of you who may be thinking, and I know what the pastor is going to say next, God wants you to give him more money. Let me say this. If God simply wanted more of your money, he could take it. Do you realize that? I mean, the federal government takes your money, and God's a lot more powerful than the federal government and so what I want you to see is that there is a deeper principle here, one that involves not just your possessions, but your heart. Because this is about what God wants for you. And God wants us to experience joy and peace and freedom from anxiety. And when we take God's principles about money and put them into practice, that's exactly what happens. So in the opening part of this story, we have a manager who's mishandled his master's money and he is about to be fired. So we pick the story up in verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Now, this is an important word in the story because the manager realizes that he doesn't have much, what? He doesn't have much time. He doesn't have much time at all. My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So here's his plan. Verse 5. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down, and do you notice that next word? Quickly, another word related to time. Sit down quickly and make it 400. Now you can imagine the conversation that might have taken place at this point. Are you, are you sure about this? Yeah, my master's never gonna know. Just cut your bill in half, I'll take care of it. Wow, you'd do that for me? Hey, listen, if you ever need anything, just let me know. Oh, I will, sooner than you think. And then the next guy comes in, the next debtor. Then he asks the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And again, you can imagine the conversation. Are, are you sure? Oh, yeah, my pastor's not gonna know. Just, just change the number, I'll take care of it. Everything's gonna be fine. Wow, you do that for me? Well, listen, if you ever need anything, just let me know. Oh, I will, sooner than you think. 
So what is this guy doing? What is this manager doing? He's got a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity and he's leveraging it for his own good and the good of others. Now consider this. What about the reaction of the people who are listening to Jesus tell this story? They're probably thinking, man, when this rich guy finds out that this manager is cooking the books and ripping him off, he's gonna toss this guy in jail? And so people are absolutely shocked when Jesus continues and says this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And people are going, what? I mean, Jesus, these parables are hard enough to understand as it is. This makes no sense at all. So what is Jesus getting at? Well, the master realized that his manager took his little bit of time and his little bit of opportunity, and he used it to make sure that he had some place to go when he lost his job. And he says to this guy, hey, you know what? You are one shrewd operator. Now, is Jesus condoning dishonesty? Not at all. In fact, to clarify his point with this parable, this is what Jesus says. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, he's saying that the people of this world, that is the people who believe that this world is all there is, are more shrewd than the people of the light. People who believe that there is a world beyond this one where everyone's going to spend eternity. And what Jesus is saying is that the people of, of this world are more shrewd in leveraging their little bit of time and their little bit of opportunity to make a better future in this world than you people of the light are in using your little bit of time and your little bit of opportunity to prepare for eternity. And then Jesus gives us a new way to see wealth and possessions. He says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what in the world does Jesus mean by that? Well, I think the implication is clear. Jesus is saying, use this temporary stuff that you have in such a way that when you die, there will be people to welcome you into heaven because you used your wealth to introduce them to God. Now, what does that mean in terms of God's perspective on money? Simply this, how does God see money? Money's a tool. Money is a tool. We can use our money to make a difference in people's lives in eternity. I sometimes think about what it's going to be like when we get home to heaven and the conversations that will take place there. And can you imagine being in heaven and just overhearing some of the conversations that are happening around you? I can imagine a conversation like this. Somebody walks up to Dick and Kim Amstoy and says, hey, um, I just wanted to say thanks for, for letting BBCC start in your living room. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it was there in your living room that I discovered a relationship with Jesus, and man, that's why I'm here in heaven. Really? In that temporary living room. Because that house is gone now. I know, but, but God used it as a tool so that I could come to know him. Or how about this, imagine being in heaven and you hear, hear this conversation and you look over and you recognize the couple, it's Bill and Joan Gaylor, the couple that donated the property to our church. And someone comes up and says, Mr. Gaylor, you don't know me, but I understand you gave the property to Boynton Beach Community Church and I'm so glad you did because I remember I was in the fifth grade and I was part of this really cool sports ministry called Upward Sports. And I remember that I was talking to my coach and he told me how I could know Jesus as my Savior and I prayed and I became a Christian that day. 
So Mr. Gaylor, thank you for using your property so that I could know God. Now think about it. What if we really saw our wealth and possessions from that perspective? That God could use our temporary stuff to make an eternal difference in people's lives. Can you imagine the kinds of conversations that we would have around the dinner table? You know, so often, and this is especially true in marriage, there's tension and conflict when it comes to money. But what if that conversation turned to saying, hey, how can we use our stuff to make a difference that will last forever? You know, we've got this stuff in storage. Maybe we could have a garage sale. I've got this collection of whatever that I could sell and use that money because money is a tool from God's perspective that can be used to make a difference in people's lives. Now, in this parable, Jesus is simply saying this, figure out how to use your temporary stuff to make an eternal difference. And there's an important principle here. Jesus is basically saying, look, you can't take it with you. And we know that, don't we? I used to have a, a friend, he's still my friend, but uh, he was a pastor and he, and he said this, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. It's true, right? You can't take it with you, but you can do what? You can send it up ahead. And this is a really important principle for us to understand now instead of finding out about it later. For example, let's go back to an imaginary conversation in heaven. Imagine that you get to heaven and you're greeted there by, well, let's say it's Peter, because that's how these stories usually go, right? St. Peter's there at the gates. And you go into heaven and you say, wow, it's so good to be here. Um, can you tell me where I'm going to be staying? Because it says in the Bible that, you know, Jesus has been preparing a place for me. So can I see my place? And St. Peter says, sure. So he takes you over to this neighborhood and you see your house in heaven. And you think to yourself, well, that's kind of a nice house. I, I like it. And then you look to your right and you see this really big house. I mean, this looks like a mansion. And you realize that it's somebody from Boynton Beach Community Church who's living next door to you. And they've got this giant house and they're out on the porch and all these people are talking to them and, and you overhear the conversation and, and people are saying, man, thank you for, for using your temporary stuff and, and for being a tither because God used that money to introduce me to Jesus. And man, I'm so glad to be here, so thank you. And then you pull your neighbor aside and uh, you say to your neighbor, who told you about this idea of, of sending stuff ahead to heaven? What you do now makes an eternal difference. Who told you that principle? The person says, well, Pastor Dudley told me. Didn't he tell you? And the person says, no. Where is he? Where's his house? Well, listen, when I get home to heaven, I don't want anybody trying to track me down because you didn't know that your temporary stuff is a tool. All right? And it is. You can use your temporary stuff now to make an eternal difference. So now you know, and what you do with that knowledge is up to you. And listen, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about, about salvation, about God's requirement for spending eternity in heaven, because there's only one requirement to do that, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. It's when you understand the bad news that you're a sinner, that apart from Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, that you will spend eternity apart from God, because God's a holy God. That was our first song this morning, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when we sin, God can't just look the other way. He has to punish every sin. And what Jesus did was to leave his home in heaven and come to this world and die in our place. And when you believe that, when you trust Jesus with your life, you're adopted into God's family. And that is the entrance requirement for heaven. But the Bible is clear that when you're a Christian, what you do here with your stuff can result in different degrees of reward in heaven. So how does God see money? Well, first of all, he sees money as a tool. 
And here's another important way that God sees money. Look at these words of Jesus as the story continues. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And Jesus continues, So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, what is Jesus getting at? Well, in these verses, it's clear that God's watching what we're doing with his money, with his possessions, because it all belongs to God. And God wants us to be wise in how we use his stuff. And the implication here is that if we manage this temporary stuff well, that in heaven, God's going to give us permanent stuff. And you might think to yourself, man, that sounds like a test. That's exactly right. Because from God's point of view, money is a test. It's a test. Because here's the reality. We all have a little bit of time. We all have a little bit of money. And how we use it is a test of how much we trust God and how much God can trust us. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, um, I agree. I have a little bit of money. But I know people that have a whole lot of money. Because I know people that have like, you know, two houses and a RV and a ski boat. And I mean, compared to me, they're rich. And I can imagine God saying, well, what about compared to me? See, God owns it all, doesn't he? And from God's perspective, we all have a little bit of time. It doesn't matter how old you are. We all have a little bit of time and we all have a little bit of money. And what we do with that little bit of time and that little bit of money shows what's most important to us. And here's how Jesus sums it up in this story. He says this, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you realize that every financial decision you make is in reality a spiritual decision? Because everything belongs to God, and God wants you to use his money wisely. And can you imagine... What would happen in our church if every single one of us saw money from God's perspective? How that would change our lives and change the ministry of this church. Let me give you a concrete example. Let's say that you're um, shopping at Publix and you go out to the parking lot and you look at your car and somebody has taken their key and just scratched the whole side of your car. And your immediate reaction is, God, look what they did to your car. I guess you're going to have to use some of your money and get it fixed. Is that how most of us think? Probably not our default mode, right? But seriously, what if we believe, really believe that everything belongs to God and we just manage it for Him? I mean, what if you looked at your house that way and the money in your bank account? This isn't really my money. I mean, the money that you have this morning that that I gave you, um, is that really your money? No, it's God's money. And what if you you saw money as a, a tool that you could take these temporary possessions, and use them in such a way that somebody's life could be changed for eternity. Would that make a difference in what you do with money and how you feel about money? Or how about this? What if you really saw money from God's perspective and realized, you know, when God puts money into my hands, this is a test of how much I trust God. Because God made me a promise. When I become a follower of Jesus, when I'm one of God's kids, when I'm adopted into his family, he will accomplish his purpose for me and he's going to provide everything necessary to do so. So I don't need to worry. That would make a profound difference, wouldn't it? If we really saw money and possessions from God's point of view. 
So take a look at these two questions on your outline this morning. Points to ponder. Number one, what does my management of God's money reveal about my heart? Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. So if you're sending money up ahead, if you're giving to God's work in the world, to kingdom work, where's your, where's your heart going to be drawn? Toward kingdom enterprises, right? And that's what Jesus is getting at. And there's a second question that says, what can I do to use God's money as a tool to build his kingdom through our capital stewardship campaign? Now, if you've been here for the last several weeks, you know that we're launching this campaign because we have two major goals. One is to build out the rest of our building plan. It's about um, 9,500 square feet of space. And let me just show you some pictures. These are the pictures in the lobby. This is what our church building would look like as we would complete that project. There's going to be a, a playground in the back there. Um, some of you have seen the floor plan, and these are some of the interior um, renderings. This is a reception area for kids. This is a cafe in the back of the building, one of the um, preschool classrooms, a multi-purpose room. Here's one of the offices and another office. And when I look at these pictures, I get excited, and I've shared this with you before. Buildings don't change lives, but what happens inside them does. What happens inside these buildings makes a difference in eternity. And there's another goal for our capital stewardship program, and it's simply this, to reduce our debt. Because as we reduce our debt, that frees up money to be used for other kingdom purposes. We'd love to be able to hire more staff and to plant more churches and to strengthen our relationship with our ministry partners. And reducing our debt would allow us to do that. Now, most of you at this point have received a packet of information and there's a way to actually think about, pray about, talk about your pledge to our campaign. And there are a number of ways that you can give. If, by the way, if you haven't picked up one of those packets, you can do that after the service this morning. But there are different ways you can give. You can give out of your current income, and that would be over a three-year period. And it's amazing how consistent giving adds up over time. Another way that you can give is by changing your lifestyle or your priorities. Um, you can decide you're going to eat out less or maybe reduce your vacation budget. You can give assets, things like real estate, jewelry, stocks, bonds, those kinds of things. And then you can give gifts in kind. Now, let me just say this as well, because I've heard people ask me this question. Well, Pastor Dudley, if we have X number of families in the church and every family gave X number of dollars, then we would have X number of dollars toward our campaign. But let me point out, that really isn't the approach that we're taking, and that's really not a biblical approach either. Because God has given different amounts of resources to different people. And God wants each one of us to come to him and say, Father, what do you want me to do with the money that you've placed in my hands? That's an individual decision that we need to talk to God about and talk to our families about. Now, next Sunday, November the 22nd, we're going to have a really big service. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great celebration. First and second services coming together. We're going to have lunch. But this is the Sunday, next Sunday, to bring your pledges. Now, that pledge will be over a three-year period of time. And then on December the 6th, which is the first Sunday in December, we're going to have something called our first fruit offering. And this is the first offering for the campaign where you can begin giving the amount that you have pledged. And let me say this. I know this from personal experience that when you hear a message like this and you start to think seriously about what we've talked about, you're starting to think, well, you know what? I could make some, some changes in the way that I see money and how I feel about money and what I do with money. Sometimes there's a bit of 
um, nervousness, um, a, a bit of reluctance to really move in that direction. Let me just say this. I have never in my life seen someone or a family that handles money God's way get upside down financially. And here's why. Because God honors those who honor him. That, that's a, an assumption that I base my life on, that God always honors those who honor him. And when it comes to money, there's really two basic ways of dealing with money. There's the world's way and there's God's way. And I'll tell you this from personal experience, because I've been on both sides uh, of this money equation. There was a time in my life, Chris and I were married, and we were handling money our way and not God's way. And then there was a point where God really convicted us and we said, you know what, we're going over here. We're going to start to take the principles of the Bible. We're going to tithe. We're going to give to God's work in the world. We're going to use money as a tool because it is and we see it as a test of our faith in God. And so we cross this line and now we're over here on this side handling money God's way. And I will tell you what, it is much better over here. Much, much better over here. And I was thinking about, about this. If you talk to really small boys about girls you get a certain reaction and that's because well everybody knows that little girls have a medical condition called cooties did you know this this may be a generational thing but I remember when I was a little guy I mean I didn't want to go near a girl because they had cooties and if you had told me about kissing a girl it's like yo yuck are you kidding me I would never do that but you know there's this transition that often takes place um, where little boys grow up and become young men, and now they have a different perspective on kissing girls according to God's principles, of course. But when you get on this side as a young man, you realize, man, it's way better over here than it was over there. Isn't that true? And so, church, here's, here's what I want for you. I want for you to take a step. Now, for some of you, that's going to be stepping over the line for the first time and saying, you know what? As, a, as an individual, as a couple, we're going to handle money God's way. We're going to step over on this side. Some of you are already on this side. And what I want to encourage you to do is keep going. Keep going. Keep developing that joyful and generous heart that God wants you to have. Let me close with this. Some of you will remember this character. Ebenezer, what's his last name? Scrooge from the classic story written by Charles Dickens called A Christmas Carol. Now, he is a, a grumpy, grouchy, miserly, rich guy whose heart is radically transformed. And many of you know the story. He has these visits from these spirits, and they show him the future. And because of seeing the future, he's transformed into, into a man of great joy. And there's a section in the book where where Scrooge is just going down the streets of London and he's just giving stuff away to everybody. And this is what Charles Dickens writes. He says this. He went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and questioned beggars and looked into the kitchens of houses and up in the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that anything could give him such happiness. What gave Scrooge happiness? taking his little bit of time and his little bit of money and investing it in people's lives so that they would have a different future. Now, here's my point this morning. Don't be this guy. Be this guy. Be the person. Be the person who understands that everything belongs to God. Be the person who understands that money is a tool that can be used now 
for kingdom purposes and make an eternal difference in somebody's life. Be the person who sees money as a test from God because God is saying, do you really trust me enough to give according to the principles of my word? Now, one final thought. What should you do with the money that you have in your hand right now? Well, let me say this. You know, here at Boynton Beach Community Church, we do not take up an offering. But every Sunday, we receive an offering. And there are offering boxes. There's one in the back of the room, and there's two in the, in the lobby. And so here is my strong encouragement to you as your pastor regarding the money in your hand. Use God's money wisely. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful this morning for your word that encourages us. And God, we know this, that your principles in whatever area of life you talk about, those principles lead us to freedom. And God, I pray that more and more we would see everything from your perspective, and especially money. God, everything belongs to you. You've created us. You've created everything. We are simply your managers. And God, money is a tool and it is a test. And Lord, as our campaign continues and as Sunday approaches, next Sunday, and Lord, I know some people have already decided what to give. Others are still thinking about that and praying about it. But God, I, I pray this, whatever the outcome is, we know, God, that, that you can do your work with us or without us. And we thank you for the privilege of being partners in building your kingdom. And God, I pray so very much that whatever is given in this campaign, that you, God, just like the offering every week, that you would use it to make your name great. Lord, that you would use it so that people can understand that there is a God who loves them, a God of grace and mercy. And Father, this morning, we're so thankful that that Jesus told us the truth so that we could be set free. And Lord, I pray that as we take your word and put it into practice, not just with money, but God, with, with relationships, with, with everything, God, that your freedom would reign in this place, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And even now, God, as we sing this last song, may this be a prayer to you, God, that we would know the freedom that only Jesus can bring. For we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.